You are listening to the Slash and Cast Podcast Network. Enjoy the show. <laughs> Back to the Kill Dead Podcast. I'm your host, Gray, and tonight I'm joined by my motherfucking friends. We have Ash, we have Devitt, and we have Brother Ghoulish himself, Ryan. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Wow, wow. How are you guys doing today? I am Keith. Psych. (laughs) I am splendid right now. Blended. Yeah. I'm getting classy on y'all, y'all. Uh-oh. Yeah, I don't oh. think I've ever heard you say that word. I'm going to start using, like, long words and shit that are, like, <laughs> sophisticated or whatever. Well, I have one thing long to say to that, Devin. I am flabbergasted, so. <laughs> I have to look up flabbergasted. Give me a second. Uh-oh. Me too. I'm just kidding. <laughs> How are you, Gray? How are you? You know what? I am doing great. I am just coming off of Clubhouse where I got the pleasure of listening to Ryan and a couple other Black Horror creators uh, talk about the Black experience through their eyes. And I think, and I'm not well-versed in Clubhouse, guys. I, I will be the first one to tell you this. I um I think it has put me in the mood for this conversation. Tonight we are discussing Them, the new Amazon Prime uh, TV show or series. I guess you can call it series. I don't know how it's going to release. We were kind of talking about this beforehand. It may be binge-worthy. It may be episodic. We'll see what happens. Uh, But it's from the creator Little Marvin, who I don't know from anything else before this week. Just being honest and transparent. If you guys have been to his other projects, I didn't even bother Googling him because uh, he wasn't on my radar before, I guess, seven days ago. Are you no, guys familiar with his work? Or? Here. Like, I'm, I'm not really familiar either. Like, and I'm on, I, I just flipped over to IMDb right now just to try to see, but I'm not familiar with his projects. Like, this oh. will be the first for me. I had to see what he looked like. And I guess looking up, look him up. He's doing an untitled Teddy Pendergrass biopic. So I wonder if that's the film with Tyrese. Mm. Wait, is he starring this? Oh, never mind. (laughs) So yeah, I'm not familiar with him. Which is okay. Um, I don't think it's going to hurt anything that we're not. The good news is is that he did a thing, and we're going to talk about it. Uh, but first, Brian, I want to thank you for sending the invite out to your clubhouse. That might not be the way it works, but thank you for helping my old ass get on there. <laughs> I no. wanted to start the show with this because them seems to have people divided. Uh, some people are very foreign. Some people are very against black trauma depicted in horror. 
I am not swayed either way. I'm not going to pretend like it's easy to watch some of these things. I'm not going to pretend like it's hard to watch some of these things. It's an experience. Either way it goes. I never know until I've done, I've processed it. It may be today. It might be a week from now where I'm like, hey, that shit just won't write. I don't know. However, I'm open to it because black creators <clears throat> get to tell their stories, however it may be good or bad. That part. Um, I think needs to be the opportunity that we capture. Mm-hmm. So as we go forward, I'm sure you will see maybe creators express an opinion that you don't really care for. Or <laughs> maybe express something that you're really into. I'm just saying for here, for Kill the Dead, we're just going to keep it open on both sides. Because it's not a definitive way to experience a movie regardless of the content. Especially in genre film. I have said this on the show before. I'm not a fan of Rape Revenge. I will watch it once because it's a new horror movie or whatever. But I still don't have own any I Spit on Your Graves. I don't own Revenge. Um, or to borrow from Clubhouse, Ryan. I do not own Lovecraft Country on Blu-ray. So I'm just throwing that blanket out here. It's a safe space. However you guys feel about this show, say whatever you got to say. Doesn't matter either direction. But I just wanted to reiterate, as people of color tell their stories, good or bad, just remember there are thousands, a plethora more white stories or black stories told by white people handled Mm. poorly or minority stories told by white people handled poorly that we still support it. So at the Mm. very least, watch it in its entirety. And if you still feel some type of way afterwards, it's fine. But at least little Marvin gets a bouquet of flowers. Maybe not a full bushel or whatever the bigger measure, a dozen, a dozen, I think (laughs) is the word. I am totally ranting right now, but I'm fine. <laughs> but it's good uh, stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah. Let's just make little Marvin get a bouquet. Okay? Is that all right? A bouquet of flowers. Yeah. You um, know what? Can I just say... Yeah. Clap. I don't know if, you can, if y'all can hear that, but I'm clapping. Me too. I'm Thank you. Too. Thank you, yeah. Gray. I definitely, I definitely am right on with the clapping. I don't know if y'all heard it, but like, <laughs> I was right with her because... At the end of the day, what a boring world it would be if we just operated on what everyone else was saying. Like, mm-hmm. I would never tell someone to just like completely not go give a black creative a chance and go see the story for themselves. There's a there's plenty of stories that I'm not, I'm not crazy about that are venerated in the in the genre. So you know, I would never go tell someone don't go see it because that's boring. Just go see it for yourself. And I'm not saying that that's the case with them, but I'm just saying like. Why would you try to block that opportunity? Mm-hmm. Like, we come so far for this. Don't shit on it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. this is what we've been asking for. We've been asking and hoping for more Black creators to come out and show us what they got. And it's like, well, now we got someone. And then you, have just, you just have people just be so quick to throw the towel in. And be all negative, but he's like, whatever. Mm-hmm. They're still gonna get paid at the end of the day. <laughs> and at the end of the day, you still watch that material, so <laughs> you're done. <laughs> that you know, I want to throw this out there as well because I, I don't want people to say we're being biased either. 
all four of us have had the opportunity to screen a press screening of this. This is just the Kill to Death podcast featuring our favorite brother. So these opinions are still of our own. Or in short, non-sponsored. I just want to throw that disclaimer out there. Yeah, like we're gathering to talk about a piece that is a stepping stone in Black Horror. And I mean, get into it. All right. Uh, Devin, can I put you on the spot and borrow your sexy melatonin voice? Ooh. Ooh, yeah. I, oh, yeah, I felt yes, that my soul. Ooh. And do it, do it slowly, please. <laughs> uh oh, wet floor sign coming through. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh. I was raised Catholic, you guys. <laughs> well, then give me that left hand because you've been bad. Oh, my. <laughs> What's up, Greg? (laughs) Would you mind giving us a summary, please? Of the entire show or just the first episode? Oh, just the first episode. The show? Okay. So, them tells the story of a black family who moves to an all-white neighborhood in L.A., East Compton, to be exact, um, in 1953. And they move into a house where Malavin, Malavin forces... Take um take over the family. Also, they're dealing with um racism. <laughs> they're dealing with uh, the the haunting racism from their neighbors who do not want a black family moving into this neighborhood. Okay, I, I just want to hit a pulse check real quick. Mm-hmm. Did anyone in this room right now know East Compton used to be white? No, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because I don't think the East Compton Clovers have ground to be mad with Kirsten Dunst anymore. <laughs> well, I, I did wonder why they chose Compton to be the setting for this story. Because we're all aware of the connotations that come with Compton now in 2021. So I, I was surprised that they used that. But, you know, I'm, I haven't finished the series yet. So I'm, I'm waiting to see it all wrap up. Okay, so I'm glad you brought that up because you know me and the gray senses, and uh, I'm sure Ryan has some input. I've only seen (laughs) the first three episodes, so I'm not there yet. But what I did know from previously, I remember hearing about this uh, through South by Southwest. As you guys know, I used to be, or I'm from Austin. I used to live in Austin, and I still try to keep up with the scene there. So at that time, this show was called Them Covenant. Hmm. And uh, I don't know why they dropped the moniker officially, but I think Covenant as a word has a connotation to it as well. So we have this family moving to East Compton. Covenant as a noun means an agreement. Covenant as a verb means a lease deed or a legal contract. So I think it gives us a snippet of like there is something else going on in the film than face value. Film. I got to get used to TV series. It is definitely a TV series. We just don't typically do TV series. So I'm going to say film probably interchangeably. I apologize ahead of time. But it's were you guys in a 10 hour movie? I love Devin time. <laughs> <laughs> It's Lord of the Rings twice through. Oh, 
shit. Sorry, I didn't mean to bring that up. No, it's, it's all good. Um, um, I want to say something without saying something. No, okay, no. But um, the thing about Covenant, I feel like we should revisit um, that after everything drops for sure because I, I got to finish like binging it. Just like I just I was like I'm not gonna stop. Um, and there is a little bit of context to that in the later episodes, and that's that's all I'll say. But um, yes, its entirety. It's definitely something, and and I didn't know that tidbit. By the way, I didn't realize that that was the original name for it. So when you said that, I got on the Google machine, and I'm like, child. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm glad they changed it because that that would have been a little too like spoilery. Yeah. Yeah. And okay, well then, can we go further down the gray hole? Sure. Oh. <laughs> okay, so in the beginning of the film, we get a little um, exposition through text of Which how I people love. have gone from 1914 to 1940s, primarily in California, for laborious jobs. And that's where we meet the Emory family, uh, the matriarch of the family, Vivian, played by. Damn it. Uh, Deborah Aorind. And she's having a flashback to a scene that we're not aware of. Or, I mean, it looks like a flashback, but we're not aware that it's a flashback in that moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, She wakes up. We realize it's present day. At that time, she's having a dream or a nightmare sequence. Um, There's one thing I picked up. I'm not sure if you guys picked up as well, but their address. Three zero one one Palmer Drive, and no. ordinarily, I would never think shit about it. But I literally paused it because I was like, "Why would they bother seeing the address?" So, as my good girlfriends from Girl That Scary Cat and Jazz would say, I jumped on the internet machine, and <laughs> I started looking up the meaning of. The numbers, because I was like, that has to be significant. And of course, three zero one one does have a significance if you're believing on things of a spiritual realm, which mm-hmm. three plus zero plus one plus one equals five. Five is the exact original numbers of the family. And mm-hmm. if you were to believe in the spiritual sense of things, uh the number five resonates with the influences and attributes of personal freedom and the unconventional individuality of non-attachment and change in life lessons. Yeah. So I think that it is setting us up for what we're about to experience. Coupled with Palmer, Palmer is means a palm-bearing pilgrim. I went full gray on this, by the way. Um, yeah. And I was just like, okay, it's a pilgrimage. And I kind of stopped there for a second. But then I was like, I don't know what palm actually means. So I took it a step further. Ooh, ooh. Uh, palm <laughs> actually means bold. Or the German expression means bold. Um, so it's a bold pilgrim or pilgrimage, if I'm going to translate it. 
And I thought that was interesting that a family of five is making a bold pilgrimage. Now, there's something to suggest that we have already lost one member of the family. However, that's where my intrigue set in. And this was like two minutes into the film. I'm getting my wife over here. I know you hear me snapping and shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm just going to pause and see any reactions or if you guys picked up on this or if I'm just fucking on a tangent. Feel free to stop me. No, I need to start paying attention to numbers. Shit. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out where do I know this actress from. Right. (laughs) (laughs) The funny thing is, I'm always doing like because I'm very like intrigued by spirituality and numerology as well. So I love that you took me on that just now because I haven't did that dive yet. I was like binging like crazy. It was only a matter of time before I went back with my my shovel too. But what you came to, as you continue to watch the series, it, it, it there's significance there as well. Like. It's just crazy, and it's exciting, actually. I, I mean, if I smiled anymore, I'd probably look like Art the Clown, so I should probably chill. <laughs> well, I just think it was interesting because we also get, um, you know, their names as well, because Vivian is introduced as Vivian Lucky Emery. Henry's introduces Henry Emery through things that we see on the screen. It isn't necessarily said allowed just yet but then that also led me down to my secondary hole and if you were to look up the meaning of henry and i don't know how this plays into it just yet as i've only seen three episodes but i'm assuming it's going to play into it henry translates to ruler of the home so maybe we're already identifying our hero or our savior uh, as well as the last name Emery stands for strength. So it means that all of these people or the four characters that we have left are stronger in their own right in some type of way. Uh, we know someone's going to be lucky. Someone's going to be exuberant, possibly Ruby. And then Gracie might be the voice of reason. Just by going at their names of service value. So, no, Dave, go ahead. <laughs> no, I'll just say that's uh, like mind blown over here, right? <laughs> like, like that's that's pretty deep. It was just uh, I don't want to use the word triggering at at uh, surface value, but when these things appeared to me, my mind just wandered because obviously. We can't have an episode without saying this because everyone does it. It's being compared to us. Yes. The Jordan Peele film. I don't think that's rightfully so. I don't compare every white film to the last white film that I saw that was good. Uh, So I think that, or I shouldn't say white and justly, but we don't do this with any other genre. How about that? Right. Yeah, that's true. What quinky deek that the daughter from us is the daughter of the series. And I think that that that's where it comes from. They're just like, oh, it's called us and it's called them. And then the same girls in it. It's got to be an unequivocal sequel. And it doesn't make sense. She's an actress and she's going to get the jobs that she's qualified for. 
Simple as that. Yeah. I don't like I love Meryl Street and almost everything she's in. I probably watch The Devil Wears Prada more than some of the horror movies I own. <laughs> I she's love that movie. <laughs> it's yeah, just I, things. I would never compare this show to us. And I like you said, Greg, I think it is because it's a, a black project that deals with identity and maybe people are making that correlation there. I think it, it's more com- comparable to, or comparable to um, Lovecraft Country, at least for me. Yeah. They're yeah. And I've seen that too. Yeah. And I mean, I, that I get more so. And okay, I'm going to say something that I might lose all my Twitter followers on. I, I liked Lovecraft Country, but I didn't love Lovecraft Country. But I think I love them so far, if I had to compare the two. That's how I feel. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. <laughs> like, oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, no. I was just going to say, like, I enjoyed Lovecraft Country, but at the same time, it had me confused like crazy. And it, I feel like that's one of the reasons why I'm not, uh, I'm like kind of hesitant to buy the Blu ray set. Like, I want to buy it so that way I can have it in my collection. But at the same time, I'm just like, eh. Like, it's it's this series, don't get me wrong, but it's not like, it's not getting me in the places that I, like, I want to get me. Like, so far with, with them, the first episode, like, I was already like, you know what? <laughs> Y'all fucking with my emotions. I'm not ready for it. Like that type of feeling, and that's why I look for with any like doesn't matter if it's a TV series or a movie. Like that's the that's why I look for when I'm watching something. And I I feel like there. I mean, I've I've only seen like two episodes, so I feel like there's more. I'm gonna be feeling some type of way by the end of this this season, but but yeah, you're not alone, <laughs> Evan. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I guess to Ryan's point too, like as far as the way people are responding to this movie and the conversations I've had with other people, they've actually all been black with the exception of my partner, is I don't want to see any more black trauma in my heart. And I get that. I I, I full on Mm -hmm. understand that. And this movie does have, that is a part of the story. So I'm just going to, I'm kind of jumping ahead when I say this. This show works on two levels because on one hand the real horror is the actual racism that the family is going through the microaggressions that they're all going through in their own individual ways but then there's also the actual supernatural element (laughs) to it which i'm not sure is actually even needed but again i haven't finished the show yet i I thought the 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 horror that dealt with racism was scary and, and well handled by itself I think that it's interesting that you just said that because I read an article and I'm trying to pull up the article name, but I might not be able to do it in time. But um, if you guys don't follow Danny Bethio on Twitter, please do. Uh, She is where the horror resides. Yes. Uh, But she wrote an interesting comparison of her review of this between this and the Babadook. And how, on some level, this had to be influenced by the Babadook. And no one had a problem with that film. So I'm not sure why people have a problem with this film other than uh, 
it deals on trauma, but like because we change the skin tone, it's all of a sudden like I can't watch this type of trauma. And those aren't her words. I'm kind of interchangeably mixing the two, but definitely read mm-hmm. her article because okay. uh, I th- I thought it was great. It was before I even saw this. Uh, I guess she got her screener before I got my screener. <laughs> uh, but it led me to want to actually watch a show. And maybe that's what set up my actual awareness to take things in. She doesn't mention any things that I mentioned. However, obviously her article is more thought-provoking and below the surface uh, than just what we might take at face value of watching it. And there's nothing wrong with people who watch anything and just take it for what they saw on the screen and don't need any subtext or context to follow up with it. Not knocking that whatsoever. But I think that there's something else here for people who want more or enjoy thought-provoking cinema. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, okay. I mean, especially in terms of, like, black horror, this is definitely better than, say... The Killjoy series, which oh, is another Lord horror it. franchise <laughs> that was written and directed by black artists, but it was. I mean, you know, it's we can be yeah. great like them, and we can be, um, you know, there's some chance for improvement, like the Killjoy series. I'm gonna put a link to her article actually in the show notes. So if you guys want, it's gonna be there by the time you finish listening to this. Anyway, moving forward. So we have a family that starts off living in some type of farmhouse situation in North Carolina. We don't know this at first when we're watching the sequence. However, the on-text screen explains what's going on. And they're moving to East Compton, California in the 1950s because Henry got a new job. What Henry has not told his family is that he has willingly chosen to be one of the first families to migrate to all white neighborhood which he doesn't even tell his wife and becomes a point of contention and i never knew this and i don't know how much of this is true or not but they show us the deed and it expresses that no one of non-pure caucasian race or anyone of negro blood is not allowed to rent lease or own the property whatsoever again i've only seen one episode but i feel as though that's going to play into the haunting uh if this is a spoiler i do apologize but i will reassure you i've only seen the first three episodes but just me as a person it's like wow like that really set me back I didn't like I, I assume there was black housing and white housing, but I didn't know things of like if you're not if you're a mixed race, you're not coming here either. Like Halsey couldn't rent there. Why is Halsey? <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell my right. girl. Don't tell right, my Gary. girl. <laughs> and that's not shade. I'm just saying she is one hundred percent white passing. And she's acknowledged that she's been privileged in that manner. However, she is a biracial woman, and her father is darker than me. 
Oh, oh shit. Nicole Richie couldn't go there either. I just thought oh, about that. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Or she let Jones? Paris in and keep her out. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> we better stop. This is going to get too much. <laughs> <laughs> um, who knew? <laughs> Wait, no, I can I can save it. I can save it. Okay. <laughs> I got my spade. So first of all, all humanity um, came from Africa because that's the cradle of civilization. Um, mm-hmm. um, I'm quoting Tomb Raider, the cradle of life, but I'm pretty sure it's still accurate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> So nobody, so, so nobody could rent there. I mean, sorry, um, not rent. What's it called? Um, mortgage. Own. No one could live there. There. Ooh. Right. <laughs> you okay, right? <laughs> no. I, this is a Crocker home. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's this. I mean, it's like what I was saying earlier. Like, the, I thought for me, the real horror was like the the actual true-to-life horror like they're it, 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 it's it's presented sort of in an exaggerated hyper suspenseful way but like the 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 racism that they felt from the neighborhood like that that's all real like that shit actually happened multiple times across the country where they were where neighborhoods were becoming integrated um and and like you say great the the d that said you know, no one of any Negro blood can live in this house. That was all real, and but it's presented as I don't know it's it's presented as just part of the story. But that's that shit was scary. You know, true life mm-hmm. was not that long ago. Not that long ago at all. Yes, and I think that that to an extent is the problem that people have is that we want to suppress these things and pretend like we're so far removed from it but like our parents our grandparents like live this and i don't think that that gets talked about enough like my grandmother did not go to a uh mixed school she went to a segregated school my parents uh were at the forefront of integration so they have you know, now they're hanging out with the world and doing things as retired people. But there was a time where, you know, like Ruby's first day of high school, uh, people were making ignorant comments and or sounds or mocking gestures. And I think that I'm fast forwarding a little bit. That scene is so powerful that uh, the well, teacher doesn't do anything to stop it other than giving the person who is being attacked detention for distracting the class right or disrupting i'm sorry disrupting the class right and it's like a thing where it's like you're you're trying to help but you're not helping like sending and this is not my experience but uh, you know i'm just commenting on it it's like Sending every single fucking person in the classroom to detention is what should have happened. And the one person that's actively participating in the fucking classroom should have been able to stay. 
And the time but, that, that we're talking about, I mean, it was barely a century ago. And that's, I think, what's even scarier to consider, that it really was not that long ago. Like you said, like, my parents have stories. Yeah, I mean, we're talking borderline. I mean, it's a fictitious timeline, but, you know, 75 years ago. Yeah. But in real life, it's still, you know, the same amount of years. It's not... We're not that far removed from this, even though we like to pretend. And it's great that people are being born today and this will just be something they read about in a history book and that didn't affect their parents. However, I don't think that the stories like these need to stop being told because people need to know. And I made the Schindler's List comment earlier, but I still think the same thing in Jewish communities. Uh, I don't know how many people are left alive that would have survived a concentration camp. Uh, but the ones that are still alive, their stories need to be told. Mm-hmm. Even if it's not some great story, like Tom Hanks is not going to play you in the film. <laughs> you know, I think that it's still worth, if you're alive and the story can be told, it should be. I recently, Devin, I believe I was talking to you and this is like black stories adjacent, I guess. The story of Nearest Green, who, long story short, is the person who taught Jack Daniels how to make Tennessee whiskey. He was a slave. Jack Daniels was a boy that came to a farm that he took a liking to, mentored him, taught him everything he knew. Jack Daniels went on to make the Tennessee whiskey that most everyone knows and loves if you're a whiskey drinker. But Nearest Green was the person that for the most part is the first documented master distiller that was an African-American. And he was doing this 150 years ago. Not to say there aren't other African-Americans that weren't doing other things like that. He's just someone that we just recently were able to document and get enough of his story. Mm. And it took 150 years. And there's no one at the Jack Daniels family or association or whatever that's like trying to block this story or something like that. It was just something that just happened in history that it wasn't like, oh, a slave taught me how to do this and Jack Daniels is going to put that on every bottle. It was like they saw each other as equals as far as I understand in the story goes. And Nearest retired and passed away and Jack Daniels wasn't Jack Daniels yet. So later in life, he becomes Jack Daniels. And it is what it is. That's terrible. Yeah, I don't... Go ahead. No, no, I guess so. Yeah, I don't think that it's the best thing in the world. I do uh, appreciate people like Jeffrey Wright, who is an actor. Some people might recognize his name. He was at the forefront of helping... Fawn Weaver uh, uncover the story and do the research to find existing relatives and what have you to be able to do this. And now they're producing his whiskey, so to speak. Um, This is a huge tangent, sorry. Uh, It's blended right now, but obviously if you start a new distillery, it takes time for things to age. So they have a master blender who is a fifth generation nearest. But at some point, that blender or 
whoever her successor is, African-American woman, I should point out, there's not many in the bourbon whiskey field. Uh, she will either teach someone else or she will have the opportunity to become the master distiller for the rest of her natural life until she's able to pass it on to the next, hopefully, a descendant of green. But we'll see. Mm. But if we're not having the conversations like we are now, things will just go into obscurity and be or not able to be recognized is the point I'm making. And I realize it's not Black History Month, but I don't care. It's always Black History guys. Month. Amen. What's that? <laughs> it's always Black History Month, like Dev said. Amen. <laughs> you know, I agree with you both because I've, I definitely feel like there's a time and a place for things to be celebrated, but it doesn't mean it should be uh, truncated to that one space. Like, right. I learn stuff every day, whether it's uh, my background or other people's backgrounds, or if it's, um, I probably watched one too many videos. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. I probably watched, I'll, I'll just say, because I post them sometimes, a good 30 minutes worth of Vogan videos, and yes. I can't Vogue or dance to save my life. Oh my gosh! I literally <laughs> I thought you were going to say porn. No. Uh, <laughs> we all watch. Uh, but porn. sometimes I, <laughs> y'all do. I, I don't do that. Mm-mm. Save the for <laughs> here, ma'am. <laughs> uh, but I do have an appreciation for people and their creative expression. So it's nothing. I don't know. Maybe I'll get super drunk and go to a ball one time, and then we'll see what happens. But it's nothing that I can skillfully do. I'll willfully admit that. We'll all go together. Yes. Done. I'm about to say, you don't even have to be drunk. Like, if you come to D.C., oh, come to D.C., you live up the street. When everything opens up, like, I will take you to a few events. It's it's actually a great time. I am down. Because uh, uh, it would be nice to experience it and not watch it through my phone. <laughs> Once you start, you can't stop. That's so true. It's so true. I don't know how we got here. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've derailed this show. Um, going back into this, so Gracie and Ruby, the other daughter. Ruby. No, the mother. Oh, Lucky. Yeah, Lucky and Gracie are at home. Uh. Throughout the day, as Ruby's at school, Henry's at work, we do have that exchange when Henry appears for his first day and a receptionist refuses to recognize him as an equal or a person that could hold a job of intelligence. And Henry is greeted or thrown upon another African-American who voluntarily says, I will take care of him or show him the ropes, something like that. And it's kind of a an exchange that I enjoyed because clearly the second African-American man, I don't know if they ever gave him a name, but Henry only sees him as an equal person. It's not like, I made it, I'm code switching, and you're below me, or anything like that. And he even shakes his hand at the end to 
that gentleman's delight or surprise. And I thought that that was a nice touch that it wasn't like every African-American in the past was like, as soon as I'm recognized by white people, I'm leaving my people. Right. I'm going to leave some shade from the pre-chat out of this conversation. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, what I'm referencing. And I also like how the, um, the other employee, he like looked and was like, show him like how we do it. I was like, okay. Like those weren't his exact words, but they're like along those lines. Mm-hmm. Like, Proof to know that we're like show show them what we got. Yeah, like he he is championing him. Like, hey, I'm not mad that you got it here. I'm happy that you did. Now it's your time to shine. Do it for all of us. Lifting each other up. Henry's at work. At this point, we do know that the. I thought this part was interesting, highly offensive, but the Caucasian ladies in the neighborhood used their privilege to stage a sit-in outside. Don't get me started on these women. Uh -uh. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. All credit due to little Marvin for thinking of this. Because at first I was like... These bitches just listening to music and drinking iced tea outside? This is dumb. I thought they were going to a pool or something. And then as we see uh, Lucky or Vivian trying to straighten up her house, we get the view of what's outside of her window, and it's all the women sitting outside trying to intimidate her. Uh, For fun, I believe they just, they say, like, this is going to be fun, or we're just pranking her, something like that, to that effect. I should have wrote that down. Yeah, I think they said this is going to be fun. Yeah. And I don't know if, if, if you know, my grandparents or nor my mother has ever said anything like this happened where, uh, you know, non-African-American people try to intimidate them. However, at this point, I think it's where I realize Betty played by Allison Pill, is a motherfucking Karen. Ooh, yes. <laughs> Hardcore. To the extreme. Yeah, like the OG Karen. And it, that, if you're listening and that's offensive, I do apologize. I am just going with popular terms well, at the current time. Why would that be offensive? I mean, that's what I'm saying. I don't I think when we're talking about race and namings and names in the subject matter of this series, that they'd be like, okay, well, it's all right for me to say the N-word. Because that's the way they're being betrayed in the series. I want to talk to that person, if that's their, <laughs> mind, if that's, if that's their mentality. <laughs> Just DM me, and we'll have a conversation, if that's, if that's the way you think. And that's, I need you, Jesse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, like I said, I'm just trying to be fair on all spectrums. Um, however, I do like the character. I think if Allison Pill doesn't win some type of award, just based on the three episodes I've seen, uh, that would be... Because like looking at her and Scott Pilgrim and looking at this performance... Like she's got some chops. Uh-huh. It's it's 
impressive. Like I wouldn't think it was the same actress, uh, but clearly she's showcasing her range. Right. And Which, I keep forgetting that she was in that film because I keep every time I see her, I think of Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen. <laughs> that okay. was uh, Lizzie Lohan, but yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but no, like, no, I mean Lilo fan. <laughs> she ugh, she's a great actress because she got me hating her hardcore. I'm like, oh, if I was there, or in the words of the family, dumbass bitch. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I. Ooh, okay, sorry. Continue. <laughs> Cause I'm about to like, no, I'm about to start going off. Canada's greatest. <laughs> or oh, I just assumed she's from Canada because she was in Scott Pilgrim. She is. Or that to be true. Okay. I don't know how to pivot from that. <laughs> I apologize. So, like, speaking um, of characters, like, should we just like go through the characters that were introduced in the episode and? Just like go a little in depth with them or how we felt about them or Yeah, I mean there's something in common with all of them that I'm in love with, so we can start there for sure. If y'all are down. Yeah, I'd I take it away, Ash. Oh, okay. So I guess we'll start <laughs> with the <laughs> with the Emory family. So we can start with the mother, Livia Lucky Emory. Is her name Livia? I've been saying Vivian this whole time. God damn it. Yeah, it's Livia Lucky Emery. That's how Why they have it. Why don't y'all say anything? See what happened was... I'm just kidding. I quit. <laughs> <laughs> so, what was, like, your first thoughts of her character? I had a positive, like, reaction to her when I first saw her. Um... Mm -hmm. But I think it's just because there's something very striking about the way that she acts that it just, she's so believable that yeah. it, it's it, it's immersive almost. Like, it just pulls you in. Right. Yeah, I agree with you. I know, like, her character, like, she's strong. She's been through some shit. And mm -hmm. it's like, she's not going to let people tear her down. Like, if you're doing her wrong, she's going to let you know. She's not playing around with you. So I appreciate yeah, I I don't like I, I appreciate them not shutting her character down. Like having her like making her careful believable. Like um they're not taking her voice away. Mm. I didn't think about it that way, but that's exactly what it is, isn't it? Like they're they're giving her that power and she's yeah. not just a weeping willow. You know, she's strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I thought that she was uh, a very relatable just as a normal person. Um, but like you said, Ash, that she she's a strong willed woman. What I did appreciate too that even though she's strong willed, she wasn't um she 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 didn't have she had weaknesses. She she was she had moments of fear, she had moments of anger, she had moments of questioning her her own sanity. And I would say my final takeaway with her character and also with Allison Pill's character um, of Betty is that it's both characters represent kind of this dangerous type of woman that we see. So I think that um, 
Lucky represents the angry black woman, so to speak. And then Betty represents a Karen and how both of those stereotypes are used in a dangerous manner. I don't think that Lucky is an angry black woman. However, her, the perception from the people around her is that she's an angry black mm-hmm. woman. Um, I'm a few episodes ahead, so I might, I don't, I don't want to give too much weight because I'm not, I can't remember everything that was in the first episode, but her reactions and what the neighbors see, they will label her, label her as an angry black woman, but she's not. She's actually going through some really traumatic experiences and no one is really talking about that. She's not communicating that with her husband and her, and her kids. And, and I'll, I'll stop right there because I'm getting into spoiler territory. <laughs> I don't, I don't think so because we do see in. Oh no, never mind. That's not. The <laughs> you're right. It's funny, Dev, because what you're talking about is like it's like right on the nail. It's that she's strong and she's fighting for what she believes in, and that's interpreted as this angry black woman. And I don't think that that's a departure from what people deal with in real life. So mm-hmm. I think that is really cool. And I notice how in this story, especially in this first episode you get that sense that it's actually kind of bled over into the other family members. They all have that fight. The Emery's, mm-hmm. they definitely have fight in them. And that made me excited because what I was afraid of is in the face of the horror that's going to be, you know, nine more episodes, are we going to have a frail family that is of color? Because I'm not ready for that experience. I need to see them fight against like this horror. And you get that immediately because she wasn't happy that Henry, for example, didn't tell her the information about what was in the contract, but she bounced back. You know, at the end of the day, we're going to communicate with each other, which we see from here on out, and we're going to do our best to just fight. It's our home. Like, we're not going anywhere. We deserve to have this. And that felt damn good. They represented mm-hmm. pioneers in that sense. Yeah. And also, you know, and like what you were saying, too, I think these characters... I, you know, they didn't have options. Mm-hmm. We have to keep this in mind. These are black characters in 1953. They did not have a lot of options. So, yeah, I mean, her husband signed the deed, you know, without her acknowledgement. But what's she gonna do? You know, she yeah. can't. They can't sell their their house and move back to uh, where is it, North Carolina? They're from North yeah. Carolina. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When the daughter, um, um, Ruby, go is at school and and the other kids are harassing her. I mean, who's she going to tell? She can tell her parents, but what are her parents going to do? They're just going to tell her, like, this is our life. Right. You got to learn how, you have to learn how to survive it. These yeah. are people without a lot of options. And I think that isolationism actually, I mean, the way that they culminated in this first episode, it's very, because I, I really love how you said that. Like, who are they going to talk to? Because mm-hmm. I feel that so many people in that situation, I feel like the immediate response is people would say, oh, they could talk to their family or their community, but that's not the case. Because if you don't learn the tools of how to deal with these situations, like many of the people that have come before us in our families, they just never got the tools. They love you all the same, but they just don't. They've gone through so much worse. So it's Mm -hmm. who do you have to talk to? And that is a, a, a very strong theme in this story. Like, who can the mother talk to about what she experienced? Because we don't get a full a view of it. But, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, it's something traumatic. Same difference yeah. with, like, Henry. We don't see anyone else in his life but his family. So who can he really talk to? And especially as you're being a pioneer in an all-white area, as an engineer at this job of all white people, like, who can he turn to? Who can the kids turn to? Yeah. They, and they can't call the cops. I mean, they can call the cops. What are the cops going to I mean, 
<laughs> you know, when the neighbors are arrested, what are the cops going to do? No, right. Essentially. I mean, these are people without options and they're, they're, they're trying to survive. And part of survival is keeping everything buried deep down inside. Mm, yes. Hmm. I wonder, like, I wonder if that's related to why our community does not embrace getting treatment for mental health until fairly recently. Boom. I don't want to suck up too much oxygen by jumping immediately when I'm going to let Dev and Ash jump in. But when y'all are <laughs> I want to touch on that because that's real. That's real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Alright, so... I said Dev and Ash. Gray and Ash. <laughs> Dev is fucking hard. Let me stop. <laughs> So, moving on to Henry, the father. Mm. <laughs> he looked look a little good, right? The, the, the daddy. He definitely. I like well, the hot waisted pants. He, <laughs> he and uh, Henry and Lucky, husband and wife, they're both, I believe, British actors. Yes, I didn't yes. know that. Do they actually have accents? Because I haven't seen interviews. Do they have like um, accents? I don't know. I would imagine. And also, the wife, you guys saw Girls Trip, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. She is the one that Regina King's husband was following oh! around, or they thought she was. She looks so different in this movie or this show. Yeah. She looks less hoish. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I'm gonna watch Girls Trip again and be like, you know what? I actually like her. Okay. <laughs> that's that's not a labor. That movie's so funny. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm down for the sequel. Yes. Me too. Yeah, and me I'll too. star in it. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> they should just follow us around. But anyways, <laughs> just just read our conversations. But what what were your like first thoughts on Henry? Do do you like his character? What are you? First of all, like... I'm gonna jump in with Devin, and he's half Hispanic. Whoa! Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know. Jamaican, Dominican. Dominican, born in London. Hey, a lot a of Dominican men are definitely they can appear like you know like African American. So when you said Dominican, I can definitely see that though. To be honest. Yeah, um, got a little more attractive there. <laughs> you telling me? <laughs> I'm sorry, Ash. I interrupted. No, you're fine. Hey, his name is Ashley, and he goes by Bashy. Hey, anyway, let me stop. <laughs> no, keep going. I'm, I'm enjoying this. <laughs> so, how, how do I you like this character? I like this character. I mean, he seemed to be like a good father and husband. This is my initial thought. <laughs> That's all I got. I'll wait. Uh-huh. I, I'll wait until like this. Sec- I'll wait until a couple of other episodes. I still like him, but I think my problem with him, and I don't know if it's really a problem with the character himself or if this is the way all of the characters are being written, but him as the head of the household, there is no communication in the household whatsoever. And yeah, that so comes from I'm, the head. I'm glad you said that because I can't tell if he's gaslighting or just stoic. 
And yeah. I've seen more episodes than me. But at, at this point, it is very hard for me to tell which way his character is going. You know what's funny? I This is the interpretation I got from him. And maybe it's just from my personal life experiences. But he's so familiar. Like, this idea of <clears throat> the black man who is, as you know, you said, Dev, like stoic because he feels he has to keep it all in be, to be the stone for the family because there's literally no view into his reaction around the fact that his child is clearly gone. Like, we're not sure at this point what happened, but we're seeing very little reaction from him. In fact, the moment they come into town, I don't know if, you know, the thing is, most people create like this buffer in between jobs where you may have like a little bit of time to move in. He's immediately to work. He's immediately like on top of things. And so he's constantly moving. And in that, I guess he's so familiar that he's not dislikable to me, even though that communication piece is clearly broken because of what we saw with the deed, for example. But that's stemming from this pay, this place of like, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. He's just trying to keep things moving. He's trying to do the right thing for his family. And he doesn't understand how damaging it is not to talk to your wife about these things. He's trying to do his best, even though it's kind of piss poor by the highest level of standard that we should be operating at as equal partners in this relationship. This is a contract of love that we have between each other. I mean, it could be something as small as, I can't think of something small, but or something big as like signing this deed. And he failed in that. Yeah, exactly. There was, there's like this um, hardened exterior. It was probably true for a lot of men at that time. I mean, black, white, everybody, like men had to be these uh, <laughs> emotionless Machines. silos. Yeah, of power. And, and you know, like, you know I, I work and I come home, I want my food cooked and that's it. Like there wasn't a lot of um, nurturing with a lot of men. So this, having said that, this father and I might be jumping head. You, he is presented as a very hands-on, loving father, which yes. is great. <laughs> Sorry, my dog's being all loud in the background. Sorry. <laughs> they're just they're just agreeing. <laughs> <laughs> like I just hear like. <sighs> Did they watch it with you? Like they're agreeing. That's what that's <laughs> like. Whatever they say, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like All how right. you added the inflection. The yeah. <laughs> 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 All right. So we have the oldest Ruby. First, in like initial impression of her. I, if I'm going off this episode, I'm not getting a lot to shed. Yeah. Yeah. She just seems like a teenager. Yeah, she was just there. <laughs> yeah. I I don't I don't know. We see I don't know how her friendship I'm assuming budding friendship is going to go with this character she meets in the principal's office. It seemed like Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Ryan knows what I'm talking about. Not sure enough. (laughs) No, I really do. Like it's a lot to be. It's a lot to be seen, and that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I know where it's gonna go, but at the same time, I don't know if I want to know. 
Oh no, you want to know? Trust me. Because like well, then, with their dialogue, I was just like, like what she's like what the the girl said to Ruby. I was like, oh, oh, like I felt I felt that like I've been there before. Like she's her compliment, and I'm going to say that with I'm doing air quotes. Her compliment to Ruby. Oh, I forgot about that. You're referring to when she said, "Oh, you're pretty for a black girl." You're talking about yes. that. Okay, yes. okay. yeah, yeah I, that slipped my mind. You're right. I was like, ding, ding, ding. Which (laughs) harkens back to her mother's experience in the opening scene with Dale Daisy's character talking to, uh, I don't think she ever gets a name, but, you know, the woman. Uh Right, right. Talking to Lucky. And it's just like, she's backhanding complimenting her or greeting her, I guess if you say, salutations. And I... I thought it was interesting that like her daughter's encounter with presumably her first white person is similarly the same, although disarming because how much I don't remember as a me as a teenager, but if I received a backhanded compliment, I don't think I was aware of it. I know I wasn't. I mean, that's the general malaise around casual racism. I mean, that in my experience, that's the predominant racist experience that I that I have the more general, like, backhanded stuff where sometimes it is um, malicious. But more often than not, they think they're not being racist. And I think that's Mm -hmm. more damaging. Because then how do you call it out without them being able to kind of accept that this is rooted in racism? Right. Oh, we got a lot of Becky's from the real world. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Paramount Plus, take us home. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just I feel like even though we're not getting much of her character in this first episode, I feel like I'm going to relate a lot more with her when I when I I eventually watch more of the show. Cuz just that scene alone, I was like, "Uh, I've been there before." Oh my gosh, like I I don't know, but I I just have a strong feeling that I will probably relate to her. I I like how they um, immediately followed up her. Ooh, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I like how they immediately followed it up with um, the traumatic experience that she had in the classroom because I think that it was like to represent kind of like the brokenness that she has and the loneliness. Because I remember being a teenager and because it was only like a, a couple years ago, um, and <laughs> <laughs> one of the things mm. that goes <laughs> don't do it <laughs> the, 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 um, that teenage angst of you know oh no one understands me no one knows what I'm going through is kind of like a part of your maturing process already so you already feel kind of isolated and I can see how her sister is so much younger than her that that would make sense and then on top of that with social media not being there and your first day in a new town being a new kid that's typically enough for you to feel isolated but then there's this barrier of racism that she immediately experiences. So what that leads to in this scene with this girl, it's so obvious she's not in the long run going to be good to her. But I think that we're seeing that through the eyes of our own experiences and our age. You know what I mean? So that's an immediate terror point. It's like, it's scary because it's like, what is going to happen? I know it's not good, but what is that not good going to look like in the context of the story? 
Yeah. Yeah, I th- and I think also Ruby was just, you know, she, she for la- this is a this is a lack of a better term, but I mean, she kind of just took the L because yeah. uh, this girl, she was the first person who befriended her. And, you know, even though it was a backhanded, backhanded compliment, it was still a compliment. <laughs> right. <laughs> you yeah. know, she supposed, you know, salt with that sugar, but I, I think that was enough to make any any person in her position gravitate towards her new friend. You know? I would actually... I, I'm just being honest with you guys. At her age, I, I would have taken it too. And it's it's not something I'm proud of, but it's just very honest. And I think it's like what Gray was saying earlier because I didn't really know what a backhanded compliment was like at that level back then. There were certain things that were more obvious, obviously, but that I don't. I would have taken that too, and it would have just been nice to have a friend. Yeah. yeah, and I think most of us would too. I don't think like the way we hear the word "colored girl" is significantly different than how they would have heard that and interpreted that back in 1953. Oh like, yeah, we, you know, we know that "colored" is is very politically incorrect. But back then, I think that was the main term that was considered politically correct, if I'm not mistaken, or semi-politically correct. Um, but it's just a whole. You're still you're even though you're this, you're still cute, which is that's. Uh, that's a hard back backhand compliment in shape. It hurts, but feels good at the exact same time. Like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. painful. It's it's just sad. Like till this day, people are still saying stuff like that. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, because like back in my single days when I was on the online dating scene, <laughs> I would get <laughs> messages and it would be like, guys would be like, it'll be like the first message, "You're cute for a black girl." I'm just like, you know what? Block. Yeah. Or, or if they call me on a bad day, or no, if they call me on a good day, I'll let them have it. Mm-hmm. Just because what they're gonna do to me, but yeah, but like it's like you have to set them straight when they say stuff like that. And now yeah. there's what what commercial what company um was it P and G I think they came out with a commercial that like talks about like the racism in the country and there's a mother doing her daughter's hair and she's just telling her daughter like even though this lady says you're you're um pretty for a black girl like you're pretty to be like you're pretty period like you're not just pretty for a black girl Mm -hmm. like so and that correction is beautiful because Mm -hmm. we we need people to understand like you are beautiful like there there is beauty in you it's not and that's a whole different like tangent, but I like that a lot. And I think the current day version of what I deal with in with this is you speak well. I hate that because yep. oh my gosh, yep. yes. so I don't I don't know why it just immediately is like no. <laughs> you talk like yeah. a white person, huh? <laughs> or you speak so well. I remember I used to work at a coffee shop, and I was working with this other uh, with the guy who was also gay, and he was white. And I, I think I can't remember what was I was thinking was kind of like bad problems with my friends at that time. So I was sort of like venting to him. And I said, I feel like people just don't understand me when I'm trying when I'm expressing myself. And I meant that like I didn't think people could understand me like if I'm trying to express anger, like different a range of emotions. And he's like, no, no, Devin, you speak really well for a black guy. I always understand what you're saying. Oh and I'm looking god. like, oh my god, bitch. <laughs> That's why you're single now. <laughs> But oh, yeah, God. I 
I didn't like that motherfucker. But yeah, that was not that long ago. I mean, maybe ten years ago, but whatever. Yeah, like what? What do you expect us to come in talking like? Like slapping my knee and like what? I don't understand. Yeah, like oh, stop watching. <laughs> yeah, stop watching like Lil Wayne interviews and right. like stop watching all these like yeah. YouTubers who can't string two words together. <laughs> Oh, because Moolah, baby. Oh. Hold up now. <laughs> Not all YouTubers. <laughs> but yeah. yeah just, oh, because I said please and thank you. I talked pretty well. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> I remember I used to work. Okay, this is the last time I was here. Last year for me. So I used to work at a restaurant. I'm from Detroit, Michigan. And I worked at a restaurant in Livonia, Michigan, which is a um, predominantly white suburb of Detroit. And I was maybe 17 years old, 16, 17, I was working there. And I was just chopping up onions with my boss next to me, older white guy. He's like, you know, Devin, I really like, you know, working with you and everything. Like, you're, are you sure you're from Detroit? And I'm like, yeah, why? He's like, oh because God. you show up on time, you uh, do your uh. job well. And like, I didn't, and I remember me at that time thinking, I don't know how to respond to this because he is complimenting me. <laughs> yeah. But wow. he's also like dissing me at the same time. So, just do better, people. <laughs> Please. Just do better. Just, <laughs> just do better. <laughs> so. Good times. <laughs> Good times. <laughs> Good times. I'm not doing it. I'm sorry. Uh-uh. I'm sorry. Don't do it. <laughs> just looking out of the window. <laughs> Watching the asphalt go. I think that's the words. I forgot. But, um... <laughs> Good times. Hold up, wait, no, no, that we can't do that. That's the saddest song. Temporary layoffs. The song is so depressing. So <laughs> 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 uh, sorry. Okay, so yes, moving so on to uh, Miss Gracie. Ek- she is so cute. I love okay. This 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 child. Okay. Let me just say she's another reason why I don't want to have kids. <laughs> yeah. Uh-oh. So if if again, I don't know if it's just shot well or if she is truly a fucking creepy kid. But when she does her rendition of the song from the beginning, I was like, okay, she's good. (laughs) When she got to stomping, I was like, oh, oh, yeah, oh, she, oh, she, God bless child actresses. (laughs) Like, she's a good actress, like, because her character is is making me question, like, I, uh, uh, like, I would not want to babysit you. No, thank you. But yeah, I, I like that the character is kind of like she is a child. However, because of her mother's canter with her, she's kind of street smart as well. Uh huh. And I assume that's going to come into play later. But I like the dynamic between them and what it could possibly be setting us up for. Yeah. And she's not annoying either. Not yet. Not here yet. Keyword yet. (laughs) (laughs) It's still early on. (laughs) You know who she reminded me of? She 
I don't know. This this is not meant to sound mean. She looks like little Nikki from Fresh Prince. She <gasps> does. Oh. Yeah, like I wonder if they're related. They look <laughs> shut up laughing. <laughs> I, I meant that as a compliment. They're both cute. Uh, I don't see that as a read because I see that. Okay, well, good. Oh, yeah, okay, so there we go. I'm about to say, I don't see that as a read. Don't listen to Ash. What? <laughs> what are you talking about? Keep cackling. Uh, that Ray was cut. not me. Oh, it may have been me. It may have been me. Well, it wasn't me. That's all I know. Great. <laughs> Great. Shame on you. We got to cut all this out. <laughs> all of it. <coughs> Why y'all come for that little girl? <laughs> I was. She just she but she looked like little Nick Ross Bradley from um, First Prince of Little oh. Ross's fame. At, the way he looked as a child, not the way he looks now. But it's definitely the, as a child. It's the eyes, isn't it? It's the, yeah, yeah. They they have yeah. Yes, she's adorable. She's adorable. It might be the it might be the cut of the dress, but it also kind of gives me you know the Shining Twins. Maybe that's part of what. subtly kind of like scares me about her because she's about their height about their age and when she gets into the horror thing she really does it like she she owns that scene it's very frightening yeah i was saying i was i was a little uncomfortable watching that i was like i'm about to turn this off (laughs) i would have been devastated because like she's so adorable that you can't i can't imagine like you know, slapping her for doing that. But it would definitely be tempting because it's like, <laughs> what are you doing? Like... You saw how, like, quick she snapped out of it, too. Like, w- like when her mom slaps her, and she's like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And she's like, it's okay. <laughs> but does the mom really slap her? Because I, that's... I kinda, yeah. yeah, I was confused with that. Oh. She's too cute. I couldn't slap her. I couldn't. She would run all over me. <laughs> well, she's like, it's okay. You're not going crazy, are you? Hello. Oh. I don't remember that. Hold up. <laughs> she said that? Little she Gracie? said something, yeah, something along those lines. Little Gracie? Uh-huh. Mm, okay, no, I would have smacked her. <laughs> she know what I went through. Mm-mm. Nope. You want to be fresh? That's how, that's how my mom put it. <laughs> <laughs> so where do you where do y'all see her character going? What do you think is in store? I think it's and to some extent she at, at least at this point she seems like the conduit. Like she can yeah. definitely communicate and see the other plane of existence and I think at some point she's going to be of aid to the family. At some point. Devin, you want to spoil some stuff for us? I'll tell you everything that happened. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I I agree with you, Greg. I haven't seen the whole series, so but I, I'm I'm kind of with you on that, Greg. I think she's the one who's most connected to the supernatural element of what's happening. As of mm-hmm. right now. Isn't that consistent with how we look at kind of like ghosts and children? And um, also, I feel like it's not just children, but it's also like pets. And it's like you you get it like they see stuff that we don't see. 
And um, so that's that's familiar. And I agree with you all. I think that's the route that after the first episode I was feeling like her relationship with Miss Vera is going to be pivotal to the central storyline because Miss Vera is obviously involved with whatever is behind the wallpaper in this house. And to an effect, I wondered, like, is whatever evil behind the wallpaper of this house behind the wallpaper of Betty's? Because you saw her picking at it in, yep. her, in her house. That's the that's yeah. what I was wondering. And Miss Vera is the fictional character from Little Gracie's book, book. right? Or is it yeah. a diary? Yeah. yeah, it's a book. Okay, and she's presented as Gracie's imaginary friend, but as we see, there's an actual manifestation, possibly, of Miss Vera. And that was a creepy. Yes. Uh, huh. That was uh, that. Uh, I don't know what to call that, but that that scared the shit out of me. And now, I'm starting to see the correlation between that and the Babadook. Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah. that's what that article talks about. <laughs> I can see it now. I guess I'm glad to rewatch the Babadook, even though I'm not a fan of it. I guess I have to read this article. I was going to anyway, but. Yeah, because Danny did that. Like she, yeah. she did that. The only thing is, like, I think since I watched the show so close together, like so fast, I felt like you guys did. Like, oh, I definitely want to follow this up with a watch of the Babadook, which isn't a, a task. I love that movie. So, I, um, I, I love yeah. it in small doses. Ooh. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. The the kid is a bit much. Yeah, if I can just wrap one hand around his throat, <laughs> better. No one blames you. <laughs> uh, you know, for shits and giggles and my own curiosity, uh, we were never going to get to this because I don't think the baby's credited it. However, we do learn that the brother's name was Chester. Uh-huh. Chester is actually an origin word of soldier. And I think that in so many words, you could construe that soldiers normally fight a fight that isn't theirs, and some of them die as a result of that. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. And Damn, his name is purposeful, and that is clearly the way you can interpret it, uh, his on-screen and off-screen disappearance. Yeah, I think that's accurate. Um I think naming is a very powerful spell and it's something that we all engage in without thinking about it because like naming is like evocation and like, you know, drawing attention and putting a container to a shapeless, you know, concept. And I think that's so dope because that's so consistent with this first episode, because whatever he did is pivotal to the war at home that the Emery's are actually facing in this first episode. Like it's. And I, it hurts me not seeing him because it's so obvious that, honestly, if they had gone the entire season not being very specific about what happened to him, that would suffice because the loss of a child is understood across the board as something that's formative in the most terrible way. And it's something that should never happen. I feel like you don't need to be like this. You, you literally, that's the thing. Like, you don't have to know the T. Like, you see the context of the film. I'm um, sorry, sorry, of the of the series rather, or the show. 
and you know that the child has disappeared and you start putting the piece together, you know what happened. You don't need the specifics, but you know how it's related to institutional racism and the horrors that the Emory's are seeing. You just, it, you feel it. Yeah. 100%. And like I said, like my initial analysis was off the first five minutes of the TV series. So it's just like, it does leave an impression if you're open to it. No difference than I would say in real life. I, I believe there are other things going on in the world and Sometimes there is an apparition or two that crosses my path. And if you're open to it, I believe you can totally see it or feed into it or give it energy. Uh, or you could not and keep living your life and never notice that the door you close opened right after you closed it. Yeah. Wow, man. <laughs> Got me over here. Uh, thinking. It's like... <laughs> Some people... <laughs> or, or, or maybe it's Maybelline. <laughs> Uh-uh. Oh. Oh. Or the London look. Y'all know that one? No. <laughs> the London look. The London look. <laughs> okay. So we kind of get a little fleshing out of all the characters involved. Betty and her husband, the Emery family. Uh, the woman in the beginning could possibly be the same woman that eventually visits Gracie towards the end of the series. And which causes Lucky to react and finds her firearm and brandishes it in front of the neighborhood. And she lets Just them have it. But it goes back to what you guys were saying earlier of the angry black woman personification versus someone just fucking attacked her child. Mm-hmm. And reasonable doubt the people in the neighborhood know something about what's going on. Maybe not that one particular thing at the, the end of this episode, but there's something not right going on in the neighborhood. And I guess I didn't mention this before. The kind of feel of this film, I see I said it already. This first episode is kind of shot like a film. Like the cinematography is great. The colors are great. Uh, or the color palette is great as a representation of this time. The costuming, as far as my <clears throat> what I think the 50s should look like, are on point. But I love that we get it like a cliffhanger of what is she going to do? Me too. And it left me wanting more. Devin just finished under an hour <clears throat> for a pilot, so I assume you were pleased. I was. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to ask you guys this one question. We'll go around the room and then we'll just let it be. Ryan, obviously you've seen the series, but I hopefully you can reflect back on the time at hand. Where do you think this series is going from here? Uh, one supernatural occurrence, bunch of traumatic racism things, a family moving to East Compton, home of the Clovers. Bring it on, baby. Ash, what was your first impression of the ending? I <laughs> my first impression of the ending was they're not playing around with this show. Mm-hmm. Um I like how nothing was sugar coated. I liked how 
mainly like um like with the the parents with um Lucky and Henry I like how they they keep they kept it real. Mm-hmm. And like I said it earlier like when they said <laughs> Dumbass bitch! Like just so the the dialogue, like the lines they said in the in this episode, I'm like, oh, they're not playing around. Mm-hmm. Like they're not sugarcoating right. anything. They're like they're being them. Like I'm glad that they added that line to their characters. But um, it's see, I like how <clears throat> character has some type of inner demon that they're they're having to fight with. And I like how us as like as the audience we're following them on that journey. Um, um I can already tell you like <laughs> some things that happened in this episode had my my blood boiling. I was sitting mm-hmm. on my couch like forming a fist. I was like that Arthur meme. I was like shaking. I was ready to punch somebody. <laughs> but um and I know, like, in my notes, I put down, I was like, damn, like, the white people were really, like, bothered by the, by us. Like, we've seen this, and we see this played out in movies and shows and all that stuff. Like, we know how this plays out, but for some mm-hmm. reason, in this show, like, it's really started, it's really taking a toll on me. Like, I always knew like mm. this shit happens, but it's like, damn, like this is like gritty. And it's making me feel some type of way. Not not like I haven't been I haven't felt like that way before, but it's just something about this episode has got me kind of upset, but I'm still gonna keep watching the show. I like what they're going I like what they're doing with this. Mm-hmm. Um the cinematography of it, like like what you said, like it makes you feel like you're watching a movie. I love how they started out. I love the music that they're playing. Um, like the the opening um, credits. I don't know if this is like the right term, but it kind of felt like a Hitchcock kind of feel <clears throat> to it. Like, I don't know how to describe it. It's just something about it. Like, I don't know. I have to think about it, but I was kind of getting like a Hitchcock feel to it. Hitchcockian um, is a term. Oh, it is. Yep. I need to read up, read up more on it. But yeah, I mean, this nothing but positive things for me. I'm I'm excited to have this opportunity to watch this series, and this is I I recommend it. People need to make sure they stay tuned and watch this. Ryan, how about you? Everything that Ash said is resonating with me as well. Even that piece that you're reflecting on Ash, where she's talking about, you know, oh, this dumb bitch, because we're seeing that fight come out in the Emory's. So I want to see that, Um, especially face against whatever horror is going to culminate. And one of the things I think that this first episode did really well was leave a hell of a lot of questions. And that's what gets me to tune back in. Like when you leave a lot of questions, like the way that they put the shadow over what we're assuming is Miss Vera, it could very well be one of the neighbors, for example. It could be, you know, mm-hmm. um, the woman from the first scene, like you kind of alluded to, Greg. But I'm going to tune in to figure that out. So I'm excited about that. And more importantly, 
it had my ticker going because the way that they did it, the scene immediately before being like the powwow between the white forces of the neighborhood and then immediately were because they said something, if you remember, about we should probably do something about the dog. And then the next scene that happened, I thought that this is kind of a nod that the white families on the block are actually involved with some type of evil entity the same entity that is keeping their neighborhood predominantly white. And I mean, not even predominantly, I think at that point they said it was only like one of the family. So, you know, um, it's just all white, you know, and we're going to run witchcraft to make that happen. And I thought that's what was happening. They consulted some evil entity and it's a good thing you leave me with questions. Cause then I'll be back. So that was like what I felt left over with it. And even with the little micro ones, like, let's think about it from an overall perspective. The first scene that we saw, we don't get an answer to. What did happen to the baby? What happened to Chester? And I'm excited. I felt like the first episode landed that plane. It was very exciting. It pulled me in, and I wanted to know more. Devin. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, you know, based on the first episode itself, I was uh, immediately drawn to the series. Aesthetically, it reminds me of, um, like, the neighborhood from Edward Scissorhands. (laughs) Like this this Mm. nuclear suburban neighborhood and, you know, these picture-perfect families. And that's all the the Emery's wanted. And, of course, they can have that. You know, my (laughs) only concern with this show is... Yeah, and I'm only halfway through, so I don't know, like I said earlier, if this is going to be resolved earlier, but as a horror series, it works when they're just dealing with the, the, the racism that the Emery's are going through, the microaggressions. I, I think in the way the horror is presented in that way, I think it's it's super successful. And I don't know if I responded to it just as a because I'm Black or if it's just a matter of fact, that's just how it was presented. Anybody can relate to this to a certain extent. But then when you're adding the supernatural element, in my head, I'm really trying to connect these two uh, different energies with the story. And I, I can't say it all works, but again, I'm only halfway through this 10 minute movie or 10 hour movie. So <laughs> it seems I'll have like a, 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll have a better answer, you know, after I finish it. But I, that's, I think that's my only concern right now. Um, and also to my to my point earlier, where I said this, you know, some people are turned off with the black trauma that's in this this series. I completely understand that. I don't think that these stories shouldn't be told, but I, I am part of the mind where, like, next time we do a horror movie with black characters, it doesn't have to have a race as the central theme. Not for every black horror project that's coming out. Yeah. And my fear is that that's the only thing that's going to get greenlit going down the line. I joked earlier and said the Killjoy series, but shit, let's let's do a reboot of the Killjoy series, a black killer clown. <laughs> you know, yeah, they're, they're yeah, still making them. So yeah, there's like yeah, a bunch of them. So like, let's have some fun. But I do love what I'm watching so far. As long as it's not produced by BET, I feel like it'll... <laughs> y'all better put some respect on BET's name, all right? No, they brought back the game. Leave them alone. <laughs> and they should have edited it. Yeah, that was some bullshit when they brought the game back. <laughs> what about you, Gray? Actually, in agreement with what you guys have said so far, um, 
I guess the only thing that I would add to it is that I enjoy that this comes across on a multitude of levels. Like, I think at the a very, very superficial level, everything so far is very well acted and executed beautifully. So if you were just looking to binge watch a new series, I suggest that this is a good one to watch. However, if you are a fan of, I don't know, African-American stories, then it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, it's intriguing. Because like I said about the D, like I never knew, and I don't know if that's true or not, but just the fact of seeing that on the screen, it makes me want to look up like, oh, what was it like for first time homeowners in the 1950s if you were not uh, Caucasian? As well as then you have the coupling of the supernatural element. And that's where that, for me, is the most intriguing part. Like you guys can see, I've already been on the gray machine trying to do the damn thing and figure this out. And obviously the show is very new. So it's like, this is just genuine research. This isn't me going on other people's hearsay or anything like that. And I'm fucking thriving off of it. Uh, I look forward to all of the Reddit holes I'm about to go down in the next <laughs> Other people uh, start chiming in on this. But so far, so good. I will definitely finish it, whether it turns sour episode five or not. Um, just because it's... I, I'm three episodes in, like I've said numerous times throughout this episode. And I am compelled to watch the next seven. That's me, in a nutshell. Same. Okay, well, I want to thank you, Ryan, for pulling double duty. I know you were on a panel right before you jumped on with us, and you were still kind enough to grace us with your presence. <laughs> um, <laughs> you got anything else coming up on Clubhouse? This episode, if you're listening in real time, it is April 9th. If you're not listening in real time, I don't know if what Ryan's about to say is relevant to you, but we'll see what happens. You know what's funny? Um, I don't know what's coming out on Clubhouse next because I've just been kind of spitballing it, but I need to get my ass on this next episode. Like, I, I feel like it's close, but I feel like I've told y'all that six or seven times. So, we'll see. That's, how, that's what I'll leave it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I swear I'm it's coming. Sorry. I'm not vanishing. I swear. I swear. <laughs> and as per usual, I'll put uh, Ryan's info down in the show notes, along with Danny's article, and probably a link to the trailer, which I don't normally do. But if you were on the fence about this film, I happen to have the trailer file. Thank you, Amazon Studios. Again, not sponsored. However, that is how we were able to see it early. Disclaimer, or whatever you're supposed to say, not sponsored, yada, yada, yada. We like what we do. That's all there is to it. Say goodnight, folks. <laughs> <laughs>